the Buck Off Podcast with Lane Grant Holyland. Hosted by Christopher Rennie and joined by Matt Tamanini. What is up, Buckeye Nation? Uh, we are here, uh, me and Matt, coming at you with some news coming out of the Woody Hayes Athletic Center that none of us were really expecting to say the least. Uh, so we're opening up the show with something new. We already recorded the episode yesterday, but this news was pretty pressing. We saw the online chat board start going crazy around 5 p.m. yesterday. Everyone started going into DEFCON 5. Were we going to have some huge recruiting violations? Was there going to be something that seriously impacted the program? All that stuff. And I'm here with Matt. Uh, were you expecting this at all before we get into it? I'm, you know the answer to that, Chris. There is no possible way that anybody could expect what we found out on Thursday involving the Ohio State football team. There were a lot of things that I thought it could have been. This was nowhere any anywhere close. Um, yeah, so if to you guys what I haven't expected. heard yet, which I'm guessing would be extremely hard to do at this point because everyone's talking about it. Uh, Ohio State had a run-in with a masseuse i guess an independent massage therapist is what the statement says so i'm going to read the statement here just so everyone's kind of on the same page before me and matt jump into kind of our impressions on this uh so the ohio state university released the following statement today may 13th so i guess yesterday with the recording time when you guys are listening to it in march 2021 the university became aware that the state medical board of ohio investigated independent massage therapists who engaged in inappropriate and exploitative behavior targeting members of the Ohio State football team. The university has confirmed that the medical board has taken action, and this individual has had her license permanently revoked. Our first concern and top priority is for the safety and well-being of our student-athletes. Within days of learning of these allegations, the university quickly launched an independent investigation of the matter. An experienced legal and compliance resource, Barnes and Thornburg, but the independent investigation has completed its work. Barnes and Thornburg found that no university or athletic department staff had knowledge of the massage therapist's activities. Her actions were part of a scheme to exploit student-athletes and were in violation of her state license. In addition, Ohio State does not believe the massage therapist's actions trigger NCAA rules or form the basis for NCAA violations. While no self-reporting is required, Ohio State proactively shared the exploitative behavior with the NCAA and a report has been made to the Franklin County prosecutor's office for transparency. We're making the report and any associated public records available at this time, all student athletes on the football team, along with the coaches and staff participate in this process based on the findings of the investigation, the university though it's departments of public safety and athletics has banned the massage therapist from campus and locations where students are lodging or living and has served with her a cease and desist order regarding any additional contact with students, coaches, or staffs. This is crazy. This might be one of the craziest stories I've ever seen in sports, <laughs> not just college football, which we all know is crazy. But this is kind of, I mean, with all the stuff that's going on with U.S. gymnastics, with Ohio State and Dr. Strauss, with the University of Michigan and their stuff, with Dr. Larry Nassar for years ago, this is crazy stuff. Like, this is very important. This is for sure something Ohio State has to take extremely seriously. And the athletes are 
victims in this case. And I think this is something not all well, of them. I, I, I don't know that them, I'm going to say like, that it, because here's the, here's the thing. It, there is nothing in any of the, the reports that we've seen either from Ohio state or um, from the independent reporting that some news outlets have done that have indicated that anything that happened was yeah. anything okay, other than consensual. You. So I understand the university. Yeah, I understand the university wanting to be uber protective of uh, of their players in light of all of those things that you said. You're absolutely right. I mean, the first thing you have to worry about is Ohio State is still dealing with the fallout of the Richard Strauss situation and all of the other stuff with U.S. Gymnastics and, and Michigan State with Dr. Nasser and then um, the stuff that Michigan's dealing with now. I totally get being overprotective. You don't know if potentially she was going to use this, uh, you know, their interactions for something other than just what happened. You don't know if she was using that for some way to kind of make money or whatever. So I get being protective, but I'm just not worked up about this, Chris. Like these are all adults and maybe she violated her, her licensing or whatever. I get that. And if she's punished for that, that's fine. But like, these are men and, and yes, they are young men. And I don't know the age of this woman, but like, I just have a hard time getting worked up about this. Like it, it's kind of nasty and it's gross, but like what, there's no crimes being committed. There's no rules being violated. I'm just not sure what I'm yeah, supposed I to be upset general, about. This here. is kind of just one of those stories that comes out and your initial reaction is just confused. Like, and Yes, I, I 100%. Mean, I, I don't know, like, we shouldn't be coming at anybody's heads right now. I think this is, like you said, everyone's going to be overprotective about this stuff with their student-athletes. This is exactly what we're going to see. And Rightfully Ohio State so. came yeah. out today, very direct, said, we're doing all this legal stuff. We're reaching out to the student-athletes, making sure they're all in the correct place. And I've seen a bunch of different reports. This is a developing story. So all the information we're getting is new information. Like what we're hearing right now can be different yeah. tomorrow and not all of it, but you know, the general idea of what's developing. And I think the reason we kind of had to add this to the show was because this is going to be a story that follows Ohio state for probably the next year or so I'd imagine, right. With the legal system and all that stuff. And it'll probably drop off like the mainstream news ah. aspect, but we're going to see this come up. And I just kind of wanted to jump out and, talk about it because it's something that people always kind of just disregard it for athletes and stuff We're like oh my god a, a woman wanted to do all that with you and stuff like great she was offering you guys massages but like that probably made a lot of people uncomfortable there was people i saw reported that some of them sure. had consensual relations with the woman like you said they're all adults this is a case like that but i am interested to see and I, I, I use interested. I may be curious. I don't know the right word to say because this is still, in a way, a touchy subject. Uh, kind of how this affects. Because I don't think this is going to be what we're seeing going on at LSU. This isn't kind of what we saw at Baylor in years past. This is kind of the opposite side of it. So I'm kind of interested in the coverage of it more than anything. Yeah, I don't think that this is a story beyond a week. Like, it might be something that people joke about and make yeah, fun of Ohio State for, which is fine. We're going to part of being Ohio State. Anyways. Yeah, right. But I just like, 
unless there's more again like you said this is a developing situation um there we know that there have not been any charges filed i can understand the concern about ncaa violations because you could think oh well is she giving the massages and then what you know, the sexual contact as an improper benefit. That seems to have been cleared up. Potentially, I guess, um, criminal charges could be filed, but it doesn't sound like that's where this is going. So I just don't know what, yeah. where the there is. Like, there's no there there. Um, so it's a, it's a salacious story. So I understand people being titillated by it and, and interested in it. But like, you know, look, here's the thing. My full-time job is I produce and edit a, a true crime podcast. Um, and one of our hosts, um, a woman named Jillian, she is very much on, because we do a lot of stories that have to do with um, with sex workers being murdered and, and targeted because that is a, a, a standard operating procedure for a lot of serial killers. And she always says, like, as long as it's between two consenting adults, like what's what's the problem? And she's a big advocate for legalizing sex work, which is different than legalizing like uh, yeah. sex trafficking, which is a completely different thing. But like, so I just don't understand what the, you know, why I'm supposed to be super concerned about this. Is it gross? Yeah. Is it, it yeah. kind of weird and make you uncomfortable? Yeah, totally. Is there probably something morally wrong here? Yeah, you know, depending on your own beliefs, I think you could probably say that. But like, this doesn't rise to a major story to me, and maybe that's because I've been too engulfed in the true crime world over the past couple of years. Um, that, that that this is something that like I just shrug off because I'm, you know, just finished editing a five part series about eight uh, sex workers who were murdered. So yeah. this is just like, yeah, okay. But it's just kind of like, it's just gross and annoying, and it's just like, man, yeah. No one wants to talk like, about this. I remember yesterday, I, I told my girlfriend, I'm like, can I just get a break from some Ohio State drama for like a week here? And I, everyone starts talking about this press conference. My friends start texting me, blowing me up. And I'm like, come on. Like, what is this going to be tomorrow? And to see this story come out, I think part of the reason I'm a little more worked up about it is because all the buildup to what this press conference was and kind of wanting to know what's going to happen next from yeah, it. Yeah. Because right now... uh. You're right. It's a salacious story. It's going to get picked up for a week for sure because it's involving Ohio State and there's going to be new information probably here in the future. I read I read Gene Smith's letter. Fair. Yeah. Uh, he sent out because it's all public record stuff now uh, as big part. They want transparency with this. And I think that's interesting because a lot of it was you're not going to be allowed on campus. You're not going to be allowed at games, all this basic stuff. And I'm like, OK, so really... You're banning her from the university, which seems fair. Uh, and that's pretty much going to be the story, I think, at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, again, I understand why Gene Smith wants to make sure that they are out in front of this. And that's absolutely what they should be doing. That's the right thing to do. And I don't have a problem with them coming down on uh, on this woman uh, and, you know, banning her and doing whatever they have to do. They turned over information um, to the Franklin County District Attorney, I think, yes. or, or some law enforcement organization. I totally get them, you know, being completely um, conscientious about making sure they cover For sure. all of their collective asses um, and and make sure that they're doing everything right by the players. I totally get that. So I'm not mad at them for that. Um, I, Doug Maurice from cleveland.com, 
Um, they're working on a story where they actually interviewed the woman. The woman was not named because she it's not a criminal case. So they're not naming her, but they were able to figure out who it is. And she and, and Doug said that she's very upset about this. Like she considered the relationships that she had. She says two players. The initial reporting uh, said yep. that there was sexual contact with five players. She says she says two and she says it was consensual like this. She's, she feels like she's being made to be a villain and a scapegoat out of this um, because it's a little, it's a salacious thing having to do with Ohio state. So yeah, there's part of me based just on Doug's reporting. Up, and again, we don't know if that's true. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I kind of feel bad for her. like, you know, just be, again, if there's more that comes out, I reserve the right to retract my feel badness, but like, it's just like, yeah. who's the bad guy here? Did everyone make some bad decisions? Probably. But like, we've seen a lot worse i mean (laughs) in college football it's really one thing i think there's two things we need to make very clear this is a developing story and we're going to get new information and then and the second part is yeah uh it's ohio state it's going to be bigger because of that uh what's going to happen here probably not much uh i had something else i was trying to think about this is kind of that story that if Ohio State kind of tried burying it under the rug instead of coming out and just being in front of it, this is something that would come up four or five months later and just be the worst thing that could ever happen. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like uh, in our land grant Slack channel, Jordan and I had a conversation about Ohio State's coverage and relationship with ESPN. And my thing has always been I don't think ESPN as a network uh, has well, anything yeah, but love for Ohio State yeah. because Ohio State drives ratings. Exactly. But the negative part of that, which where it can lead to people thinking that Ohio State is hated by ESPN, is in when there is light. a story that puts Ohio State in a negative light. They are going to they're going to harp on it because Ohio yeah. State, good or bad, drives ratings. So uh, that's what I'm I, maybe that leads to this. I don't feel like it will. I, I don't think that this will even get more than a passing mention on ESPN. I could be wrong. And if I'm wrong, that's fine. I, uh, Land Grant folks know that I am not a um, uh, an ESPN For hates sure. Ohio State conspiracy theorist. But but, you know, it just feels like, you know, again, where's, you know, uh, to, to borrow a term from folks uh, down in the Lone Star State. It's like uh, all hat, no cattle. Like there's just no, and I'm, I know I'm using that slightly wrong, but like, it's like, it's a big show, Behind. but there's not much actually but yeah, to be I think worried about. At the about. end of the day, yeah. it's something we had to get a jump on as well. Just kind of just to touch on it. Fans are going to oh, be yeah. asking us about it. Uh, I know my phone blew up immediately after that press conference. I'm like, geez, I've got so much work to do right now. I do not have time to talk about this. And so when I got home, I was like, we got to get on this a little bit and just kind of get in front of it with the fan base, because I know we're probably going to have some stories out about it, kind of highlighting some of the points. But, yeah, we're going to release the episode and we just had to get out in front of it. So I guess that's kind of my final thoughts on it here. So, yeah, that's that news. Kind of crazy day for Ohio State football. A lot of people are surprised at what it ended up being. But now we're going to take a jump back into my time machine with Doc Brown, and we're going to go back a day and do another show with all the other news from last week. So enjoy. Welcome, everybody. This is another episode of the Buck Off Podcast, now part of the Land Grant Holy Land podcast feed. So make sure you're checking us out, subscribing to all the 
shows, listening to them all, you know, the whole nine yards with that. I'm here with Matt Tamanini. How are you doing today, Matt? Doing great. Uh, it's uh, great weather here in sunny central Florida. Is I'm assuming it's the same for you in sunny Southern California. Yep, sunny and 75 right now, actually. Ooh. So I am couldn't be in a happier place. Yeah, 78 here. So we are in uh, in good shape. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Uh, yeah, so that's a good start to this show. Uh, I got a fun little thing I'm doing this weekend. I'm going skydiving, so I'll update you guys on that Ooh. next week. Don't Don't die. That's my number one goal. I just wanted to bring it up. This could be my last show. Just kidding. Yeah, could, yeah. They've got a very good record of safety, but uh, we'll we'll talk about that more. I just wanted to let everyone know I'm going to be safe. I'm going to be back. It's all good. I just need to let the co-host know that, just in case he has to go solo <laughs> next week. It'll be. For I appreciate that. I appreciate very that. dark reasons. So, just wanted to bring it up. The one funny part about it is I'm deathly afraid of heights. Deathly oh, afraid. So this then is why are you doing this? Moment. Oh, okay. Fear, Got it. Fear conquering moment. My girlfriend's like, let's do something spontaneous. Let's get after it. So yeah, I, I'm excited. All the COVID restrictions are starting to loosen up. So there's less rules about the skydiving stuff. So we'll all be able to go on the same plane. It'll be, it's going to be fun. That's what I'm convincing myself every day. It's going to be all a right. lot more fun than all the transfer topic news that we got last week. Uh, so Henry 2020, uh, we'll keep it short because it's kind of been touched on a bunch, but Nick Saban won again. What's this mean for the Buckeyes? I kind of wanted to get into this aspect. Why were we in the mix for Henry Tuotoo in the first place? You know, that's the question a lot of people have. Yes, the linebacker room, inexperienced a little bit, kind of on the younger side in some spots, but there's guys who've been cutting their teeth in the program for some time that I thought would kind of get a little bit peeved if – we brought in another guy. So with Henry uh, going to Alabama, there's been some interesting takes. And one guy that I follow, he's pretty good. He's his name's Josh Pate, late kick with 24 seven sports. He had a pretty good take. And I I want your opinion on this, Matt, because I've kind of been thinking on this all week since this whole situation took off. Like, do we really need another linebacker? Do we not? Josh says, Ryan Day took a different approach. You know, a lot of people, after getting beat by four touchdowns in a national championship, would redo everything. Wholesale changes, change the scheme, try to catch up, do what the team that beat him's doing. But Ryan Day took a step back. He said, we might add a few people. That's where Henry comes in. We might make some changes. But I think what I'm seeing from him is trust in what he's done, what the coaches have done, and what we have coming back next year. So let me hear what you got on this one well i think look 2020 was a weird year and it got incredibly weird for ohio state football in the latter half of their season and obviously played in to the national championship game when they were dealing with COVID issues they were dealing with trey sermon who looked like the second coming of eddie george uh getting hurt on the first play um yes they were outmanned in that game no doubt ohio state's defense last year was an issue. But if it was a normal year and they'd had enough time to practice, they'd had equal time to practice with Alabama, who had zero COVID interruptions last year, which I think is important to note. I also don't know that that's necessarily <laughs> something that to brag about, because I'm sure that things down in Tuscaloosa weren't as tight as they were in Columbus. But like, there's reasons for the gap that is obviously there to have been exacerbated 
because of circumstances beyond Ryan Day's control, whether that was just the fact that the Big Ten was a mess in terms of dealing with COVID or specifically on the ground stuff where there were players who were impacted and couldn't play. They only had one practice reportedly um, in between the uh, semifinal win and the championship game. So, like, I think there's reasons to look at this and say, yep, we got beat. But it wasn't as bad as it looked, or it could have been better than it looked. So I, I think that's fair. I mean, I think we see that they're making changes on defense in, turn, in terms of finally moving to uh, a more modern defensive scheme with the four-two-five. Um, obviously, they're going to bring in a, a ton of younger players uh, because we saw ten players drafted. So there's going to be guys who are younger coming in. So, like you said, he's trusting the recruits that they've brought in, especially at quarterback. Um, and some of those positions that needed some help last year, especially in the defensive backs uh, room, in the linebacker room, we're, we're not seeing anybody yet um, jump in there. But you're right. Like, I think there's reasons for Ohio State to not feel as bad as we probably all did the night after the game. And there's also reasons to think about, OK, we're in a good place right now and we're just going to go ahead and roll with the guys we have, because in terms of recruiting, they're as good as anybody. I mean, they're as good as Alabama. They're as good as Georgia. In terms of in terms of development, Ohio State is as good as anybody based off of the fact that they're always up there in terms of the NFL draft numbers. Yeah, so, like, I don't think they're doing anything. They're not doing anything wrong. It was just a bad situation. Nick Saban is the greatest college football coach of all time. And you got beat. And it was by Alabama and it was by COVID. So, like, I think this makes sense. You have to make changes, which we're seeing them do. But I don't think this is like fire everybody and replace your entire team through the transfer portal. Yeah, I think one interesting aspect is we've got guys who have shown in moments like Taraja Mitchell, you know, Dallas Gant, uh, Kevon Pope has played meaningful snaps. You know, these guys have played in Ohio State uniforms. They've shown, especially Taraja Mitchell, he has flashed immense potential it's just those plays that blow up on him it was similar to josh proctor two years ago he had a lot of great plays it was the ones that kind of combusted kind of blew up that really highlighted why he wasn't the starter why you had a guy like tough borland who might not have been as gifted as an athlete taking the predominant amount of snaps on the interior you know it's not a negative to have a tough Portland, but I think there's five or six plays we could have gone back into the national championship. I'll say it. I'll I'll say it. It, it was it was a negative to have. It was a negative to have tough Portland. I'll say it. It, it, it was it, a negative. It was that, that it and never have, should have gotten to that point. In my opinion, we have young guys like Cody Simon. We have young guys coming in to kind of intertwine with these older guys. And I would have loved to bring in an experienced linebacker who's played meaningful snaps, but. At the same time, what does that say about your program? I think you said it on another show this week. I think you were on, yeah. on Stick to Sports. You said, it's not the Justin Fields situation. We didn't have a quarterback, period. Like, you could have all your fanboys about Tate Martell that you want. He was not the guy. He wasn't <laughs> taking us to that level. And I think we do have guys in, in the program. Craig Young, Cody Simon, these guys, uh, Reed Carrico. All these people coming in, they flashed in the spring. They showed that there is a group in here that can win. Uh, so the reason I keep going on and on about the linebacker depth and all that is because <coughs> guess what? The minute Henry 2020 committed, uh, the rumors started spreading. Immediately after that, we're going to go after another linebacker in the portal. Palea, uh, oh God, I got it, I got it, I got it. Hold on, hold on. We're going to get this right. First try. 
Paulier Nautoote from USC. He was a five-star recruit from Bishop Gorman High School. And I guess, what what are your feelings on that? Uh, do you really think a linebacker is needed? Do you really think bringing one in just to bring one in with the new scheme, we're going to a bullet more, we're doing a bunch of that stuff. Is that really the direction we need to go? Well, I will say that um, both Henry uh, – to I don't know. Let me take that out there. Um, uh, I, don't, I don't know. Anyway, well, I'll just say Henry. Now, what's interesting is that both of these linebackers, Henry and Palienaute Ote, um, were both guys that Ohio State was on back in January. And, like, there were rumors about both of them potentially uh, being interested in Ohio State. And it looked like Ohio State's interest focused on Henry uh, a little bit more because of the issues with Alabama, maybe not being able to transfer there because of the SEC rule. Um, and he's coming off an all-ACC year. Uh Pallier is dealing with basically two seasons of, of having injuries. He had an ankle injury one year, and then he was in the concussion protocol last season for USC. Um, so that might be a little bit more why Ohio State focused on uh, on on Henry. Now, as of like, I'm looking at the calendar. As of last Friday, there were reports that Pallier was getting ready to commit to Texas. He was and, like locked in Texas as yeah, of Friday. Yeah, they report like there were people reporting it, um, but I feel like you're right. As soon as Henry declared that he was going to Alabama, which happened on Saturday, I believe, that kind of changed, and it sounds like Ohio State's back in the driver's seat. So that's just kind of the lay of the land there in terms of whether Ohio State needs him or not. Obviously, moving from a three linebacker to a two linebacker set. Although Craig Young is coming out of the linebacker room, so like. He's probably going to be the starter at Bullet. Yeah. The epitome of a hybrid in Craig Young. Exactly. So, I mean, you're still probably going to be starting three quote-unquote linebackers, even though one of them is going to have a a different um, uh, position label next to him. Look, if he's good enough to come in and play, like, I don't see anything wrong with him. You've got the scholarships uh, available to do it. Um, So from a Ryan Day perspective and from a Kerry Combs perspective, like, I get it. Um, about getting that guy in here and somebody who can make a difference. He's played uh, at USC. He was a starter. He's had 14 games as a starter, even around his injuries. He's got two years of eligibility left, so he's not a one-and-done kind of guy uh, like a Jonah Jackson was coming in a few years ago from uh, from Rutgers. Yeah. So, like, I get it, and I don't think they're wrong in this. I mean, there's a reason, like I, I said a few minutes ago, having tough Borland play as much as he did was not good for Ohio state. And I refuse to believe that it was only because he was the veteran that he got that time. So to me, I trust these coaches and I think they're pretty smart football minds that I'm assuming they saw something in practice and in preparation that said that tough Borland deserved to be out on the field. Now, in fairness, even though Tuff started for the last couple seasons, he didn't always have the most snaps in terms of middle linebacker. Like Two that, seasons yeah. ago, um, Baron Browning, I think, actually had more middle linebacker snaps, even though he wasn't the starter. So keep that in mind. But like the fact that Taraja Mitchell hasn't played a ton, Dallas Gant hasn't played a ton, like that concerns me when comparing them to Tuff Borland. So like I'm I'm open to it. But I also have to wonder if they bring him in, if a Kavon Pope isn't like, you know, Ready peace out. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and like, I can't fault him. Uh, we're going to yeah. talk about another guy who you know, entered think... the portal um, th- this week as well. But it's just like, 
I can't fault him, but I can't fault Ryan Day for trying to get the best team on the field either. Yeah. And I think one thing we got to think about it well is the depth aspect. Even though we're going to two linebackers, we saw how short the room got with three or four injuries. And it's a physical sport. Yeah. And yep. in the spring game, we had Rowan McColo starting at line or Good not starting, him. but playing. Good for him. Snaps. And it yeah. was, he impressed me. But I'm just yeah, he's a long it. snapper. Yeah. <laughs> if we get to the Penn State game, we have some depth issues and, you know, a guy has to come out of play. Rowan McCullough is going in the game at linebacker. Like just having that extra body will give us all a peace of mind. And I think that's an interesting point because I didn't know this coming into the show that he wouldn't have been a one and done guy, which kind of actually gets me a little bit more excited. about. Yeah, it. exactly. Because that means he'll have time to cut his teeth. You know, I keep using that because that is big. It's a huge aspect of football and being in locker rooms. No one wants to go dedicate three, four years to a program just to get cut by a guy from a guy who wasn't even committed to the school as of months before that. And so I I think that's another added aspect that I kind of like about this. But yeah, I guess the transfer portal conversation seems to never stop in the off season. We've got Tyreek Johnson now in the portal. Like we both, we talked about this pre-show. We're both in agreement. Tyreek Johnson didn't have a place on the field this year. Or next no. year, probably. No. We have young corners in guys like Ryan Watts, you know, guys like Cam uh, Martinez, Lathan Ransom's a guy who's kind of mixing in between both of them. You know, the list Legend goes on Cavazos, on. yeah. The list goes on of all these young guys, and a lot of them weren't ready to play last year. But this is a position where you, we talk about sophomore leaps quite a bit. This is a position where that's very common. So Tyreek Johnson was getting on the field. Uh, Banks and Brown seem to be the only older guys with any chance of playing. So I think the youth movement's in full effect. Does that excite you? Does that make you nervous? Uh, we've got a huge 118th ranked pass defense last year. Something's got to change. Yeah, I, I talked with Patrick Mayhorn uh, from Buckeye Sports Bulletin, formerly of Land Grant Hoyland, on our Tuesday podcast. And he is... Um, if you know Patrick or if you've listened to him or read his stuff over the years, either here or at BSB, um, you know he tends to be a glass-half-empty kind of guy. Um, and on his show pre-spring game, he was thinking that the, the secondary would actually take a step back. Um, he was encouraged, though, throughout spring about what they saw in practices, what he heard during practices, and what he saw during the spring game. I don't think that either of us thought that the secondary was going to make a huge step forward. But there is room to move forward. And for me, again, it's kind of like the tough Borland argument at um, at linebacker to a different degree, but in the same thing. Like Cam Brown obviously got hurt last year. Um, Seven Banks was a starter, but didn't, you know, he played fine. But I'm nothing special would, in seven. Last yeah, year at all. exactly. So, like, I'm kind of of the opinion, like, unless those guys are, um, hugely ready to make big steps marcus williamson in there as well because he's a he's a veteran guy too unless they're ready to make huge jumps and get back to the hashtag bia type of of on-field performance i would just much rather run out the young guys like run out lathan ransom legend cavazos ryan watts cam martinez let those guys play because they can't be much worse than what we saw last year so i mean we've got depth obviously moving um to a five db set um, which includes the the bullets. So you're actually moving. Yeah. You've got Ronnie Hickman and Court Williams in that mix as well. Um, and Josh Proctor is obviously going to be the starter at safety. Like, I 
think the de- the the back end of the defense could still be a little rough, but I'm fine with it being rough if it's if they're going to utilize the young guys. There's really nobody in the transfer portal at cornerback that will be interesting to Ohio State. Um, maybe that changes over the summer. Who knows? But like right now, there doesn't look to be any options like Palier now Teote. Um, it's just kind of like you're going to ride with the dudes that you have in your room and hope that Kerry Combs and Matt Barnes can coach him up. Yeah, I think two things that excite me about what Combs is talking about is they're going to go to more press man, which I think is something that's going to be huge, especially with the athletes we have in there. Especially a lot of these younger guys are longer, uh, more traditional man-to-man corners. And I think that's an approach that I like Combs to take. I think when you look back at it with guys like Bradley Roby, guys who fit more of that mold that were kind of guys who get in your face. They're like, this This is going to be how it is all day long. Uh, I think that's what Combs wants. I think last year with the shortened offseason, with all that stuff, he wasn't really able to implement his structure, his philosophies with the defensive backs. I think going having an added secondary coach as well and Matt Barnes to kind of just focus on these guys. Combs is going to be as divided in his time now. I think that's also going to help. But I I really think, you know, we talk about the bullet position. It'll be interesting because two years it's been a more defensive back body. This next year it seems like we're going to make this a bigger position, a bigger point of emphasis. Uh, Four DBs, two safeties, that could be an option. Like, Lathan Ransom's very versatile. He could be a slot corner. He could be a safety. So is Cam Martinez. So there are, like, thousands of directions, and we're going to talk about this a lot during the offseason where we're trying to fill the void. There are so many directions we can take with the defensive backfield that if we finish 118th in pass defense again, I really don't know what I'm going to do with myself. Like, <laughs> even 60 would be good for me. Like, I'd be – if we went all young guys, finished, like, 55th in the nation in pass defense, I'd be like, you know what? That's That's good. Because the next year, it's going to be even better. Yeah, I don't know that that big of a jump is possible. <laughs> uh, you're, you're saying, oh, even 66 would be fine. I would be doing backflips. Yeah, if you can, if they can get it inside 100 or inside 90, like I think that's a good step forward. Uh, because they don't have a stud. They don't have one of the tradital um, great carry guys. combs. Yeah, like even, I mean, there's a ton of people. Right, they've got a ton of people who are saying, like, ooh, watch out for Seven Banks being a first-round pick. Like, okay, I mean, is that just because he's an Ohio State corner and all, they've yeah. almost all been first-round picks? I have not it's seen possible. enough from him to annoy no. him a first-round pick. Not by no. any means. It, that's all projection and knowing Kerry Combs' history. But you've got to remember, and I don't remember off the top of my head who recruited Seven Banks, but, like, a lot of these guys who are older – in the program right now weren't recruited by Combs. They were recruited by the two or three guys in between. Mm-hmm. And before we got to Jeff Halfley, the recruiting wasn't great. Like we had the one year of Halfley and he kind of got back to the traditional Ohio state DB recruiting. Yeah, sure. And obviously Combs is a stud at, at recruiting where you can say, well, all you want about him on field, but you cannot knock him in terms of his yep. ability to recruit. So like he's kind of working with guys that he didn't have, you know, the pickup, use the old, yeah, you can use the old. There are guys in the room, you know, it's kind of what the argument that team up North has been using for years. Like it's Harbaugh's guys now, you know, like Coombs is going to get his guy. Combs is going to get his guys in there. And you see that with Jordan Hancock. uh, And he's coming in this summer. He could be a guy who could come in. Their spots are open. So yeah, you're right. I think this is, 
a year where I think a lot of pessimistic Buckeye fans are going to be like, yeah, you know, the past defense is probably going to be bad. But me, uh, I'm always a glass half full guy. I'm a very optimistic person. Good for you. Ryan Watts' pick in the spring game, a few of those plays these guys made, you know, I think it was either Lathan Ransom made a nice play on an out route. I'm starting to see stuff that I'm getting excited about the group. It's just who do we run out there? Who do we play with? And that'll kind of decide on how much optimism I'm going in with. Because if these young guys in the offseason, this is going to be a huge story to follow. Keep getting better. Keep improving. Keep pushing these older guys out. That's really going to excite me. And I think the past defense is going to be great, even though we lack experience. If the older guys keep holding it and holding the places, that's kind of going to worry me about not only this year, but possibly the next year, if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I guess I guess to close this conversation out, uh, I mean, we haven't even really talked about Tyreek Johnson yet. Uh, There's but nothing that to kinda, say. Yeah, that kind of just shows. And that, honestly, you know, it's funny. I haven't brought him up because he's the only Ohio State player who's blocked me. It's Marcus Williamson. And he's kind of a guy. Wait, hold who, on, hold on. Blocked you as in like like on, on Twitter? Twitter? The Buck Off Pod page did go pretty hard on Marcus Williamson during the season. So I completely understand it. I would have blocked me too. Uh, but yeah, so that's the one Ohio State player I've seen that I've noticed has been blocked. I was like, hey, Marcus okay. Williams, and he tweeted. And I'm like, oh, I can I see, why can't I see his profile? And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Actually, I was pretty tough on him. <laughs> but overall, we've got seven banks, Cam Brown, who's not fully healthy yet, and Marcus Williams. And those are the three elder statesmen at corner. And now Tyreek Johnson's out. So I guess, would we see some of them leave in fall camp if it's not falling their way? That's how I kind of want to close this out. I, I don't think so. I mean, like maybe one of the veteran guys, maybe Marcus leaves, but I think seven and, and Cam Brown are both probably going to end up being the starting outside corners. Um, and that could change depending on, you know, injuries or whatever, and it might, you know, change in season as well. But I think to start the season, I would guess that Seven and Cam Brown are going to be um, the two guys. starters. Yeah, and then I think you throw Lathan Ransom in the slot. Um, if Williamson is still here, maybe he's in the nickel. And then you've got guys like Cavazos, Watson, Cam Martinez um, as that second string. And as we've seen over the years, um, Kerry Combs is, yeah, he, he loves, loves the two, depth. three deep at corner. Yeah, so I mean, like, I, I think all those guys are going to get playing time. So I don't see anybody from that group leaving. And then the younger guys, um, they're young, so they're not going to leave. I mean, they're going to have time yeah. to kind of build up. To prove themselves, work inside. Exactly. And get ready yeah, to go. So, so maybe Marcus Williamson jets over summer, but, uh, you know, you won't know about it if he uh, tweets something out about it because you got blocked. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, I guess uh, we're, we're missing one guy. Who, who are we missing? Demario. <laughs> I mean, he's kind of oh. the enigma in the whole group. I don't think he plays. <laughs> he's not going to play. I don't play. think you think he's he plays. He's not going to play. But no. I think we might get a Rudy moment from Demario this year. And that's kind of sad coming from where he was as a recruit to where he is now. Like, if he gets an interception in a game, Ohio State's whole fan base is going to be absolutely electric. Screw that. I'm starting the Heisman campaign if he gets an interception. I think he deserves it. I think yeah. of all the players on our team, he's our Heisman candidate. <laughs> sure. Why not? <laughs> it's like who was it who was the kicker uh who started a heisman campaign uh, a few years ago i think his his like social media stuff is even like sean for heisman uh sean nuremberger was it sean nuremberg yeah 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 it of was, course it yeah. was yeah yeah it, 
it started as a little joke and then he just ran with it and everyone loved it. That's yeah. That's what it's all yeah. about. Yep, Sean Nuremberger. There we go. I want to thank you guys for coming in today. Buck Off will be right back, but first, some quick words from our sponsors. Here's some Ohio State news you might have missed over the weekend. Former Buckeyes get invites to NFL camps. JT Barrett gets invited to the Cowboys camp on a tryout basis. CJ Saunders, former Ohio State wide receiver, has been invited to the Atlanta Falcons rookie camp. More to come on those developing stories. On the transfer front, former Ohio State offensive lineman Max Ray finally made his transfer decision. He is transferring to the University of Colorado. This comes after putting his name into the portal last month. Last week, over the weekend, Ohio State had a lot of Buckeyes graduating. Buckeye students in the first live ceremony since COVID-19 happened. Uh, got rained on a little bit, but still an exciting time for all of you Buckeyes joining a large alumni base. The nephew of Peyton and Eli Manning has included Ohio State in schools he'd like to visit. The 2023 quarterback from Newman Academy down there in Louisiana is interested in Ohio State. Could we see more of that Manning to Harrison connection? We'll see if Cooper Manning's son decides that Ryan Day is the guy to take care of his future. That is it for all of the fuck off fuck off So kind of going back to the beginning, my fear of heights, there was a roller coaster this week, or this past week with Efton Reed, but I don't want to talk about that roller coaster. <laughs> We're done with it. He committed. Uh, was it Pittsburgh? Was it Missouri? Was it? I don't know. No, it was, it was LSU. LSU. But, LSU. Uh, I think the five-star center enigma among Ohio State fans, like, so it's the weird. one thing that I see on Twitter that Ohio State basketball fans latch on to. Well, here's the thing. First off, I, just to, just as a, a caveat there is, I don't know that I would actually call them Ohio State basketball fans. I think they're Ohio State football fans who kind of expect the basketball to team to be the football team and don't really pay attention to college basketball and or Ohio State college basketball. I, I think I made this joke in the group chat, but these fans act like seven-footers, number one, grow on trees. Like, how many people in your life have you seen walking <laughs> around at seven feet tall? Uh, I was I w- lived in the same dorm as um, Ken. Oh, what the hell was his last name? Guy, biggest um, human beings I've ever seen. That that moment's when I realized, like, you know what? There's a lot of reasons I'm not a Division One football player, and it's because I don't look like Chase Young. And it's it's just. These people, they don't grow on trees. And half the time when you get seven-foot recruits, seven-feet recruits, I don't know the grammatical correctness on that, uh, they can't move. They can't walk around. So you get these three or four or five stars a year. You had Chet Holmgren. Ohio State was in it to the end. You had Efton Reed. Ohio State was in it to the end. You know, there's three or four of them every year. And a lot of these Ohio State basketball fans, I'm doing air quotes over here, think the program's going to fall apart. And I, I did the research. None of the four Final Four teams had five-star centers. So these expectations are just out of this world. <laughs> like, 
oh my God, you're going to get one of the three guys when there's 320 Division One basketball programs recruiting these guys? Like, like, let's do some basic math here. Like, that is yeah. not a high percentage opportunity. Yeah, I mean, there's only 20... Uh, in basketball, there's only 25 star players. And only two of them were centers for this coming recruiting class that everybody's worried about. One of them is almost certainly going pro, uh, Jalen Duran from Montverde Academy down here in Florida. And then the other one is uh, Adeem Bona from California, who has not done anything in terms of recruiting. His 24-7 sports profile has no information. Like, there is no teams that he has showed interest in. There are no crystal balls. But he's a 6'10 center, 5-star, number 15 in the country. He has shown, like, nothing. So, obviously, yeah, I mean, obviously that's partially, I'm assuming, because of the of the pandemic and he's just like he's finishing up his junior year of high school but like there's nothing he has no interest that no no offers are even listed um and of course this might just be a 24 7 thing like they don't have it in there but like okay so there's two guys one of them's going pro one of them hasn't done anything and yet everybody's like ready to storm the shot with pitchforks and and torches trying to oust Chris Holtman. It just, it makes no sense for the basketball beat writers like Connor, who has to deal with these guys every single day. And I'm just like, (laughs) I I talk about basketball. I love Ohio state basketball, but I I like to think I know college basketball's landscape and just that basic understanding. Like this isn't football. There's not these, there's really not as many, you know, I guess there's probably more five-star recruits in football. What I think it's 35 a year in 24 sevens composite. And, yeah, something you know, around there. Those are getting broken yeah. down in a percentage of five or six teams most of the time. And that's the same thing in basketball. Like four or five teams get all the five-star recruits in college basketball. I don't think that's true. I mean, I'm looking at this year's – this year's um, – I might uh, be two years behind. Top then, tw- 20 because it's like, the five stars. Yeah, because you've got yeah. a couple that will always go pro – and, and for 2022, and obviously not all these guys have committed, but you've got a UCLA, a Syracuse, a Florida State, a, K- a Kentucky, an Auburn, um, a couple more Kentuckys, and an NC State. Now, not all of those are commits. Those are the ones who have like yeah. a 100% crystal ball because it's still early in their recruitments. But like these guys are all over the map because I think the thing is, is like we see in basketball, you it's can be like, a uh... stud at a lower level. Not a lower level, but not a blue blood. You don't have to go to Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, or Oklahoma, or Georgia to 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 be the best of the yeah, best. I guess, and, I guess yeah, looking exactly. back at it, Cade Cunningham, the number one player last year, went to Oklahoma State. So, what, Ben Simmons went to LSU. That was pretty crazy yeah. out of the ordinary. Uh, Michael Porter Jr., before everything mm-hmm. went crazy at Washington, was supposed to stay local, and then he ended up at Mizzou because that coach left. So you're, I guess you're, I mean, you're onto it, I guess. Five stars kind of go wherever they want. And that's kind of how we're, we're living in their world in college yeah. basketball is kind of what it feels like at this point. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's like we saw on Wednesday, the day we were recording, Patrick Baldwin yeah. Jr. is going to Milwaukee. He's the number four player in the country. Now, granted, his dad's the coach at Milwaukee, it, but it, like, you know, I guess that's kind of similar to Dustin McCullough to decommitting from Ohio yeah. State to follow his dad. Yeah, to go to Indiana. Um, but like, 
it's bonkers. College basketball is not college football. And I think that's the thing to take away. And and Connor wrote an article about it. Like, don't expect Ohio State football results for Ohio State it, basketball it's because it's not the same. And like, I, 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 there think I, I added this to it. Holden's expectations for the people who follow Ohio State basketball regularly, always have been Ohio State basketball fans, are he's done a pretty good job so far. He kind of saved a floundering program, got him back to being competitive in Big Ten play. I thought we were held back a little bit by Caleb Wesson being a true center. I think that kind of slowed our tempo down, kind of took away from what Holtman likes to do offensively. Uh, And then this past year, I thought there was a lot of moments where I thought Ohio State is a step away from being a legit like competitor for a national championship every year. So I think he's right on schedule. And I don't think a five-star center is ever going to really have me be like, Chris Holtman should be fired. Chris Holtman should be hired. You know, if he lands one, hell yeah, I'm all in. Like, let's do it, bro. But, but I, of course, yeah. Efton Reed going to LSU. We might not ever hear from him again from a college basketball standpoint. Like that happens. And he's still going to go in the top 15. Uh, So it's interesting. So I kind of want to continue on this Chris Holtman expectation train. He's going into year four, year five? Year five. Okay. Going into year five. So yeah. five years, uh, the team's improved every year. Yes, we got bounced in the first round this year. I don't want to talk about it. But I've got a list of famous coaches that took more than five years to win a championship. All right? And I'm going to read them to you, Matt. And I want your take. I would imagine there's, there's a lot a of them. I would so imagine I it's a some lot. Some of the biggest names that I could find. And I just want you to hear... The first couple, all right. So there's Jay Wright, Villanova. We all know him, right? The guy, he won a championship for the first time a few years ago. It took him almost a decade to get there. All right, he's one of the best coaches in college basketball, probably has some of the best job security in college basketball. So that's one guy, right? Jay Wright. We all know him. Every basketball fan should know him. Villanova, yes, a traditional basketball school in the Big East and all that before all the conference realignment. The next guy I have on my list. A uh, guy who's had a very similar tournament result as Chris Oldman. Tony Bennett. Virginia. Remember, they were the mm-hmm. first to lose to a 16 seed. So, if Chris Holtman's on the Tony Bennett line, I think next year could be pretty good. <laughs> yeah, because they won the very next year. Yeah, they won the very next year after uh, so after losing very, the first round. Yeah, let's do it. respectable coaches, right? Took them more than five years to win the championship. All right. Next guy on the list. This is where it starts getting a little crazy, all right? You guys ever heard of a coach by the name of Jim Beheim? Uh, I don't know. Maybe Unfamiliar. Like 900 games or something. Won a national championship in 2003. It took him like 30 years to get that. And I know Syracuse is a much smaller school up in the northeast of New York that's kind of been up and down athletically. But 30 years for one of the all-time greatest basketball coaches to win their first championship. You know, Holman in year five making the tournament consistently, I think that's what I'll take. All right, now Mark Few's the next guy on my list. All right, still hasn't done it. One of the best basketball coaches, built something in Gonzaga. All right, I, his, his is a little different, that situation. You know, he's kind of built the whole program and all that stuff. But still, kind of close, but kind of far away still in a lot of ways. This one's crazy. Mike Kurchevsky, or Coach K, Kurchevsky, I, I, I always butcher his name. Coach K took him 10 years it's fine. to win a national title. So 
all right, you know, five years, we get deeper in the tournament. I think he's right on par with one of the greatest coaches of all time at that rate, you know? And then the last one, this is my favorite one. And Ohio State fans, you're going to be very familiar with this guy. Thad Mata has never won a national title. But when everyone's compared, when everyone's looked at, I ever a lot of people see this as the golden era of Ohio just, State hey, college Just, just for reference, like I think he won it in his 10th season at think, Duke. I yeah. Like we won one national championship a while back, but I think this is kind of the era that everyone kind of goes to this one or the Jim Jackson kind of era. But this era was kind of where I started liking Ohio State basketball. And this is kind of the standard I set for this team. And I think they're a lot closer to a Thad Mata team than a lot of fans are ready to say. Would you agree with that? Um, the Thad Mata era is weird because the big 10 wasn't as strong and wasn't as deep. Um, I think Ohio state, I mean, Thad Mata without looking it up, like I think they won like the big 10 tournament, like three or four years in a row. Like I just don't see that happening in the modern big 10, um, just because I think there's so many good teams, but in terms of like quality and the ability to compete at the national level, I think they're pretty close. Like I think they've proven that. I mean, they've beat some really good teams, um, over the past few seasons. So like, I think they're, I don't know if they'll be able to have like the, 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 the trophy. Yeah, success. exactly. Like I think that, but I think in terms of how good they are, I think they're close. I think they're a stud away. Like a lot of the Thad Mata teams always had a stud and I don't think Chris Holtman's had that yet. Like he got Kata Bates D up for one season, but that was a Thad Mata guy. Caleb Wesson never, I think ever uh, ascended to, to that. Yeah, I mean, he was very good. Don't get me wrong, but like he wasn't like a the he was never the best player, uh, in the Big Ten or anything like that. I, I, that's the kind of guys that I think we're uh, we're missing from Chris Holtman. Um, and if yeah, he can get he a guy, guys like he got guys like Solinger, he got guys like Aaron Kraft, he got guys here and there. Yeah, I mean, uh, Deshaun Thomas. Yeah, like he he got guys who would be a first team all big 10 guy and and Holtman's had a couple but like it's just you never have a guy who you think is the difference maker if you can find one of those guys to add to the rosters that he's already putting together I think that's a big deal I mean and I think it does bear mentioning that uh Malachi Brandon who's going to be a true freshman this season for Ohio State is the highest rated recruit that Chris Holtman's ever had yeah so he's coming in this season he's number 31 in the country he's a four-star shooting guard um, I think he could contribute a little bit th- as a freshman and and he might end up being that first guy who is just a takeover kind of stud. So yeah. we'll see. Uh, who knows? I, but I think that's really the difference between the Thad Mata teams and the Chris Holtman teams so far, because otherwise yeah. they're built fairly similarly and do a lot of the same things. And like if it's just the crazy expectations that casual fans put on coaches they kind of drive the online conversation. And I just kind of wanted to step in here and just say like, give this guy some time. Like this isn't a sport where it happens overnight. Like the most recent champion, what uh, Scott drew, that's his name at Baylor. He's been there almost a decade and a half. And he finally got to the mountaintop. They gave him time. They gave him the ability to make it in the tournament a few times, let him get, get there See how it is. And it finally paid off for him. The trust. That's kind of what I see in college basketball works out the most successful. The programs that keep getting stuck are the ones who are like, you're out, you're out, you're out. They're on that rotating door. And I just think, how many coaches in the country can I name that are better than Chris Holtman definitively? 
I don't know, maybe 10 to 15 guys. And that, and then after that, I think Holtman's right there. And that's kind of where I don't think Ohio State's going to find better than Holtman. If you kind of catch where I'm going with that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's it. I think I think Holtman is as good as you're going to find right now um, in in terms of like comparing to potentially people on the open market. Like, I just don't see that. Uh, see that happening. Ohio State got super lucky with not getting um, Archie Miller and him end up yeah. going to Indiana. That's- like that's who everybody wanted at Columbus. Ohio State got got it right. Like so, like that's uh, Ohio State. You know, ended up a lot better uh, than Indiana did because they've already moved on. So you know, and I will say, keep in mind that Ohio State was peaking perfectly at the end of the. 2019 2020 season and who knows how well they would have done with if that tournament had happened i mean the washington post i think did a story last year um where they simulated the ncaa tournament yeah and had ohio state winning so i'm not saying i mean i am saying that ohio state was the champion we actually sold t-shirts that said ohio state was the national champion because of that i I would have bought one if I knew about it. I I think you might be able to still get them, actually. I'll send you the link. Um, But, like, you know, it's tough to take that. uh, You know, you can't just completely write that off. Who knows? So I just, you know, I think Chris Holtman's a good coach. I think his teams are fun to watch. They can be maddening as well. Um, But I think they're... I had last year, they're they're real. Yeah. I don't know if that's always Holtman that could be Dwayne Washington throwing up heat checks. He's on his team. I mean, he's the coach. But, you know, I, I just feel like, you know, there's there's so much good that we've seen from his teams over the last few seasons. I feel like they've, they've exceeded my expectations, at least during the regular season every year. So I I just don't understand the hatred for him. Um, that we get in our mentions every time, every day. It's unbelievable to me. I can't tweet about college basketball without someone bringing up either Oral Roberts. And that's like, you know how many coaches have been upset in the tournament? by a 15 seed or a 14 seed it's it's not a lot but there's enough of a sample size to, it happens frequently so it it sucks yeah but that's not a reason to storm the castle and like kill the king you know like that's that's like it's college basketball it's march yeah. madness it's what's supposed to be there it happens yep and that's that's it it's it's just something i we had to talk about because it's maddening and we see it every single time connor releases an article it's it's kind of funny, but it's also like, you know, it kind of goes back and forth between being funny and being irritating. Yep. Uh, but yeah, moving on a little bit, I think this is kind of interesting. This is kind of a, I like I always like to do a segment called Know Your Enemy uh, whenever something happens to either a conference rival or someone like Clemson or Alabama. Uh, that team up north last week had a coach leave for a head coaching job. <laughs> and I, I don't want to knock Jim Harbaugh for that because, you know, it's hard to keep an assistant from going and taking a head coaching job. But, you know, three months ago, four months ago, he was talking about how his staff was, this is the best staff you'd ever assemble. Like, we're ready to take this thing to the next level. Maurice Linguist even tweeted, like, we're not done yet. Like, 2021's coming at you guys hard, something along those lines, like, there's going to be a huge year recruiting, and then he just get up, jets, and leaves. And, you know, there's more job security at Buffalo than that team up north right now. And his restructured deal, it kind of, I kind of just want your opinion on that whole situation because I, I followed it. I kind of think it's funny, mostly that the way he talked, 
and then he just jets and leaves. So, yeah, did you do any, like, do you have any opinions on this at all? Uh, I I think it's very funny that Michigan brought in a coach who was supposed to change their entire, you know, setup and their entire way they look at things. And then he leaves before the season starts. Like, that's funny to me. Like, it's, the, it's, the, it's just the joke yeah. that keeps on giving. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't fault anybody. I mean, like, uh, Linguist had been at Buffalo. He, he'd been an assistant coach there. Um, before he left, I forget where he went to a Mississippi school, maybe, um, and then went to Michigan. And that's fine. Like, go back to the school. I, I don't fault him. I don't fault Harbaugh for hiring him. It's just funny. Like, it is just very funny to me that they have to rebuild everything now. And I don't know if they're everything. promoting from within. I don't know what they're doing, but it's it's just funny. And, and I wrote this article a year ago, maybe last fall before the season. I don't remember when I wrote it, but like. I don't want, for multiple reasons, I don't want Harbaugh to ever leave that job. Like, one, because he sucks and Ohio State beats him every year. But, like, he's just provides so much comedy. Like, you can't not just laugh at his utter incompetence and weirdness. The dude is really weird. Uh, yeah, and I love watching it from afar. And I, obviously, if somehow they start beating Ohio state on a regular basis that my, my enjoyment of his weirdness will change. But for now I love it. It's just, it just makes me laugh. It's, it's really interesting too, because I remember when they brought in Josh Gaddis, he was overhauling the offense. And then the next year they went into shotgun more, ran a few RPOs, but the grand scheme of things, it didn't feel like anything actually changed. No. And then he brings in this Maurice linguist and they're recruiting. And yes, they get a kid from Gross Point, Michigan to go. They did, they stole him from Ohio State. It's a local kid. That should be a guy you're getting anyways if he's literally 40 minutes from your school. So, yes, it sucked we didn't get Will Johnson immediately. And I still think like now that Maurice Linguist has gone his primary recruiter, this could be a story to start tracking a little bit. But it's just hysterical. To yeah, me, every great. single time they make wholesale changes, they don't actually make wholesale changes. It's just on paper. I have never seen a coach take a pay cut. Like, do you do you have any recollection of a coach doing that? I mean, <laughs> no. I mean, we hear about it all the time in the pros with guys giving back money to 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 help with salary cap, but like, it was either that or get fired. So. Um, I guess good for him to be willing to do that, but it's just, it's just comical. And that's kind of just kind of what I wanted to go through in this segment. Like they are in a really weird place as a program. They are on the verge. Like they still technically have blue blood status in the sport. They're one of the oldest programs. They have some of the, they have the most wins all time still. Like they still have these things to kind of bank on in recruiting efforts, but you know, it seems like a coach leaves four months in. A coach leaves here. They try to revamp the offense. Nothing changes. They bring in a transfer quarterback. He's not good. They finally have their own quarterback. Doesn't work out. Joe Milton's terrible. Cade McNamara sucked. So this J.J. McCarthy story, that's going to be huge. And the turnover is already not helping that. And I think it's just going to be so interesting to follow the rest of this offseason. And I'm always going to be ready to come on this show. And this is going to be 
a semi-regular segment, depending on what they give me over here, knowing our enemy, because <laughs> Ohio State fans love to follow them as close as they love to follow Ohio Let's State, because you just got to know. And I think it's funny because we could poke fun at them. We could try, and you know, I thought the athletic did an awesome story this week talking about the game, the first upset Ohio State had. The yeah, one back in 2001. One. Yeah. And it was, it's just so crazy to think how much has changed since then. Like every single year of my life growing up, going into that game, it was the most nerve wracking weekend of my life. And I wasn't playing, I was just a fan. And then now I'm going into it like, yeah, let's kick our ass again. Let's keep it up. Let's keep doing this. <laughs> it's not the same. It's not like, oh my God, like this is the, it's still the game. It's still the most important game of the year. But now we're like, let's keep rubbing their face in the dirt until they don't want to play anymore. And that's exciting. Yeah, and I love they it. They give us all this. They give us entertainment now. I think about that. It, think back twenty years. Would you have thought that Michigan would be our main source of entertainment in the off season? I mean, look, I was a student in two thousand one. Uh, that was my saw junior year at Ohio State, um, so I remember it vividly. And I grew up in the John Cooper era, where Ohio State was again the most talented team in uh in the big 10 most years were a national contender and yet couldn't beat their rivals so the fact that that so much has changed um you know since then is is really crazy to me i love it i think it's hilarious it is one of the the great joys of my life um i've realized that at some point that might change but for the most part, I uh, it, it's still kind of when I think back to getting pissed off about games that John Cooper lost, um, you know, in the regular season. Like, it's crazy to me that like that's it would be shocking if that happened to Ohio State these days. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I always like to use this as perspective. This rivalry game being born in 1996 is a lot different to me than it was to my dad, who was born in 71. And then my grandpa, who was born in 1945, like that is a whole, like, it's way different for me. Just picture that, like my sister, uh, she's 12, 13 years old now. And she has never, she's only seen one loss and she was three. So she doesn't even remember it. That is (laughs) insane to me to think about. There's kids who have been on this planet who have never even heard of that. And that's awesome. And that's what I'm here for. Yeah, I love it. Uh, so, yeah, I guess best for last here, Carmen's Cruz announcement from the general manager, I believe his title is, Jared Solinger. Yeah, general manager and head coach. All right, cool. Jared Solinger, he should be a player too, player coach, Jackie Moonit. I love but, it. But uh, there's some new roster additions. Uh, if you want to give us a rundown, I know you said you might pull it up for us on who some of the more notable names on the team are. Currently, yes. in the past, the roster build yeah last year's roster was aaron Kraft, uh deshaun thomas i don't think he ended up playing but he was on the roster david lighty lindsell smith jr john diebler william buford and dallas lauderdale those are the buckeyes then you've got a guy who literally is older than me um he is now 40 he'll be 41 years old by the time i guess in august um that's jeff gibbs he went to otterbein you've got uh dimitri mckamey and malik dime who um, were also on the team, even though they weren't Buckeyes. They have um, Columbus connections as well. We don't know as of now who of those guys will be back. Every year it's kind of a crapshoot, depending on what's going on with them 
um, in their personal and or professional lives. Yeah. yeah. Um, But we've got some names, you know, the first three names, I think, um, that were announced are completely new uh, to the teams. I think Shannon, well, sorry, to spoil your your news thing, one of them played for Carmen's Q a few years ago, uh, but was not on the team last year, so... Yeah, I, I, I guess, I mean, it's, I mean, most people have probably seen it by now, but yeah, we've got Keyshawn Woods now, everyone's favorite buck guy, the mid-range king, uh, Caleb Wesson, he was, Keyshawn Woods was only a one-year guy, right? He was a transfer and he only played? Um, Either one or two, but he was a transfer, yeah, from, That's uh, what I thought. yeah. Caleb Wesson, I think this is the addition. I think this was the one that this team needed. I really do. I think he's a very good offensive big man. Uh, he's going to provide a lot on the defense end because not a lot of teams in TBT have a guy of Caleb Wesson's size and stature. And then, like you said, Shannon Scott's on the team again. That's a pretty big pickup because uh, if I recall, he's a pretty good defender. And he's a guy who's going to get into a lot of people's business on the court, which you always need that guy on your team. So uh, those three guys, I think they're all huge additions. Who of those three is your favorite addition on this roster? Who? Um, I would probably say um, uh, I I have to go with Caleb. I think he's the best. He's the best. He's also the youngest. So I mean, like I think he's got less less wear on the tires. He played overseas this season. Um, so I you know I I think that's exciting. I would love it if as you teased, uh, Jared Solinger played again because he's played for this team before. Um, so I think it'd be great if he jumped in there and, and played again. I don't necessarily know that I expect it, but did you see his highlights from Korea. Yeah. He was the MVP of the, uh, of the, I don't know if it was a series or just the championship game. Like he, I don't know, put up, put up like 107 points or something. Um, but yeah, he's, he's fan. He's still playing fantastic, uh, overseas. And he's looking like he's taking care of himself a lot better than he did when he was in the league. So I think, I think he's really if he plays, I think I, I I don't want to lock in anything, but I think if Jared Solinger gets added to the team, like you're leading to, I don't think this team can be beat. Honestly, I hope so. I mean, when he played a couple years ago, and like I think he had to leave. If I'm remembering correctly, he had to leave to go get married, and then they lost while he was gone before he could come back. Oh, like yeah, he was going to come right. back, but like I was like, how is this guy not in the league? He dominated that tournament when he was playing so i i you know i don't know what the reason is he's not in the league it might just be he's you know it's kind of passed him by at this point but dude still clearly has game i saw uh someone else say this and this was funny they said evan turner better put that clipboard down and play i'm seriously he's out of the nba now and he's been the assistant coach for a few years Outside of Joe Johnson, who I think is pushing 40 now, uh, I think he would be the one of the premier players in TBT if he yeah. decided to play. Absolutely. So could you imagine this team with the guys we mentioned, Keyshawn Woods, Caleb West, and Shannon Scott, plus Diebler, plus Lighty, plus Buford, uh, plus Gibbs, plus Evan Turner and Jared Solinger? That's a pretty good team. I would take it. I could not imagine... Uh, team in TBT putting that level of people who have played together before with that amount of talent, you know, because I think there's a lot, there's a few teams like overseas elite who are consistently very good, but I'm not sure how much camaraderie they have, how much they've actually played together. And then you've got teams like Big X, who another Big Ten team, they just came to mind because they had a few former Buckeyes. Mm-hmm. But 
a lot of those guys didn't play together. They played against each other. So I just think there's just this perfect amount. And who won it? There was a team, a Marquette's team won it recently. Uh, similar. I think these college teams are starting to get more of their elite alumni, and they're starting to put them on these teams. And it's starting to get real dangerous for people <laughs> who have to play them, and that's exciting. Uh, what what time of year? TBT is usually July, right? Yeah, it's gonna. Uh, yeah, it it has kind of shifted the last couple of years, but it's gonna be July this year. I think mid July is when the first rounds um, start. Oh, sorry, I bumped my mic there. Let me do it again. Um, yeah, they're, it's gonna start on July sixteenth. They're gonna play at a couple different places. I think the. Um, the Ohio State Regional, which was where Carmen's crew and Red Scare, the Nate and te- uh, the Dayton team, I think they're the second weekend. Um, so it, it'll because they'll do a couple different weekends of regional tournaments before the championship um, weekend is uh, the first weekend in August. Yeah, no. So I'm excited for that. That'll be a really it's that nice little lead into fall camp. We get one. We get a Buckeye event. It's mm-hmm. awesome. It's fun. Can't wait. And as long as there's no 64 or a 15-2 type upset with Carmen's crew, which we should be a one seed if I... (laughs) I would imagine. I would imagine. If I'm looking at the past success on top of this team. Uh, So I think it'll be fun. I think it's going to be a really good time. It always is. I think TBT is one of my favorite. Obviously, they're not one of the big five sports leagues, but I think of all the smaller tournaments, they do a really good job of putting on a show it's fantastic the drama yeah. it's really well put together and over the years i think it continues to grow and the prize money keeps getting bigger so it's exciting for all these guys to have a chance to come back play for their school colors and i i think it's just something we get to talk about so yeah and i'll just say one la- yeah i'll say one last thing before we wrap this up they're playing in the cavelli center this season at ohio state in the past they've played um on capitals campus when they were in columbus i loved uh, a couple early season ohio state games this past season were played at the cavelli center it's a really it's cool a- place for games to be i mean it's obviously much more intimate i would love for yeah, it's a really ohio nice state arena yeah i'd love for if ohio state and or carmen's crew played in st john arena but if not i would much prefer them play in the cavelli center as opposed to the Capitol Gym, or obviously the Schottenstein Center, which would never happen. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, no, the Cavelli Center, that was, I, I had to do a few things there for a class, and it was just one of those arenas where you'd heard about it on campus, but until you go there, until you really like experience, it's a really nice place to watch a sporting event. I watched wrestling there. I watched a couple volleyball games there. It's exceptional. It's a great experience, and it didn't televise very bad, so I think if you could do as many games as you can there, that's the best route to take. Yeah, I loved it, especially in the COVID year. I thought it was a really smart thing to do, and I wish they'd actually done more of it this past season. Yeah, for sure. So uh, any final thoughts on today's episode, Matt? No, I mean, I think that's all. We covered a lot of ground. I mean, from football breakdowns of, of position groups to hate thrown at Holtman to TBT, like I think or to, to, to Michigan coaching blunders, like I think we uh, we covered a lot of ground. Yeah, and we kept it under an hour. So, yeah, that's good for me. That's good for me. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, Uh, just uh, thank you guys for coming today. Before we close it out, just make sure you're following uh, the Buck Off Pod page, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And make sure you like Land Grant Holy Land's page uh, at Land Grant 33 on Twitter. Uh, It's it's where you get all the information. It's where all the show postings go. It's where you can get all your Buckeye news and analysis you need. It's 
going to be great. We've got some t-shirts that you need to buy as well uh, for QB1. Uh, so make sure you go knock those out, get yourself one. They come in hoodies too. So uh, shameless plugs are always welcome on Buck Off. That is it for this episode of Buck Off. Thank you guys for coming. And make sure you don't forget to follow me and Matt, your favorite host on the Ohio State podcasting circuit. Follow Matt, BWW Matt on Twitter, and follow me, Chris Rennie CFB. But most importantly, follow Land Grant Holy Land at Land Grant 33 and follow the show page at Buck Off Pod for all updates about Ohio State football analysis and all that good stuff. As always, thanks for coming.